This tall guy next to me, uh, his name is Brian Phipps, and uh, I've uh, known him long enough and gotten to see him enough here that I call him friend. And, uh, and Brian, you've been serving in Turkey as a church planter for 28 years, and I think Hillcrest has been part of that partnership from the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's been a real privilege to follow them and their family. Uh, if you haven't ever talked to Brian, uh, I encourage you to, to talk to him after service. Ask him to tell you a few stories of what God's been doing over in Turkey. It's incredible and really, really encouraging. So we're so happy to have you here. Uh, let's welcome Brian to preach for us today. And uh, he's going to open his heart, open the text where, we're, where we've been as we've been studying through the gospel of Luke. So let's pray. Uh, love to pray for you and then uh, turn you loose. Uh, our Father, thank you for Brian and for his wife Dana and for what you have done uh, in helping them to respond to the call that you gave to them 28 years ago to, uh, to leave the comfort of, of America and to go to a new country, a new place, burdened uh, to reach the unreached with the gospel. Uh, so thank you for what you've been doing in his life and in, in their ministry and I pray for Brian right now that you would fill him with your spirit, that you would bring words to his mind that would be from you to share with us, that we might be changed um, as a result. Uh, so, Father, bless this time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having us, uh, having me this morning. Uh, started last night. Uh, Jeff and Jill Rao hosted me at their house. They had the entire church staff over. That was great. Uh, I had a fire and, and s'mores and food and that kind of thing. And then Fred and, and Jennifer had me. Uh, I stayed at their house for the evening, so enjoyed that, of course. Uh, and then to be with you this morning, uh, to be with this church family. We love this church family. Like Fred said, you have been with us uh, from the beginning. The missions committee here is strong compared to you know other churches' commissions committees. And so you should know that. Uh, they stay very well informed and connected and keep encouraged always encouraging us. So I appreciate that. And maybe just a quick word about Turkey uh, before we look at the text. Um, so we've been in Turkey for uh, 28 years. And I just want to encourage you to, you should know that we've been a part of uh, five church plants over that uh, period of time. In fact, we've just had the privilege of seeing 113 Muslim, back, Muslim background people come to faith in Christ and get baptized over 28 years. Uh, yeah, praise the Lord for that. In fact, in fact, the, the body of Christ over the last 28 years has grown 16 times faster than the general population. Can you imagine that? 16 times faster than the general population. So let's uh, continue not to be sour about uh, you know, Muslims and Muslim countries, but pray because God is working and people uh, are coming to faith in Christ. Um, you know, most recently, I'm doing something uh, in my ministry that I've only done three other times in 28 years. Currently, I'm doing something very rare. I've only done it three other times in all of these years of church planting. That is, I'm discipling a man that I think uh, God is eventually going to lead into um, full-time ministry, lead into church leadership. Uh, and his name is Isa, I-S-A, uh, and he's 24 years old. Isa, 24 years old. 24 years old. And one of the things that we're doing, that I'm doing in uh, discipling him, is that we're memorizing the entire book of Ephesians. The entire book of Ephesians. By the way, yesterday uh, we started chapter 6, uh, and so we're getting close to the end. Uh, it's been a project that we've been uh, doing all year long. And you know, this memorization project uh, is a little bit hard for Isa. 
And I think for probably two reasons. Uh, the first is maybe just kind of natural, kind of youthful hurdles. He finds himself distracted by his cell phone. Uh, maybe a little bit less uh, stick to than what I might otherwise like. Uh, but secondly, secondly, you know, uh, the bar for pastors in Turkey is typically not quite as high as the bar is for pastors in America. And so I'm talking about things like Bible knowledge. I'm talking about things like sermon preparation, or I'm talking about things like uh, counseling skills. And so this idea that I would have him memorize an entire uh, book of the Bible, that's something not unheard of in America. People do that. But that's just not heard of in his life. And uh, so it kind of looks to him like I got like a discipleship on steroids <laughs> with him. And... Um, and I've, so I, I somewhat had to kind of drag him kicking and screaming through the first five chapters. And one of the things that I, I constantly tell Isa is I say, Isa, do the thing that 30-year-old Isa will be grateful you did. Do the thing that 30 years from now you will be grateful that you did. Because in six years from now, you might be a pastor. And this memory project is going to mean that you're, gonna, you're just going to learn God's word all that much more. This memory project is going to change your heart. It's going to shape you. It's going to grow you up. Uh, it's going to make your, your prayer life all that more uh, accurate and careful and scriptural in private and in public. And, and then it's even going to help you in those, those unplanned um, you know, moments of conversation. You're going to be able to bring more scripture in to your unplanned conversations. So Isa, imagine what you want when you're 30 years old and do that now. So that's been my encouragement to him. In fact, that's kind of the principle that we're going to look at this morning as well. The idea of thinking about what it is we're going to want 100 years from now. What is the things that we're going to be grateful that we did 100 or 200 years from now and follow that track today? But our topic is not uh, Bible memory. Or rather, our topic is money. <laughs> So buckle up, and uh, we're going to look at, we have a series in Luke that the church has been going through, and today we are in uh, Luke chapter 16. So I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 16. And just to give you a little bit of an idea of our, our, our map, what we're planning on doing, uh, our title this morning is uh, Smart Money. We're going to look at the first, first eight verses, and we're going to see a story of white-collar crime. Then we'll move on to uh, verses 8 and 9. And we'll read about an endorsement from the Messiah. Then we'll take a, a, take a little bit of a pause and consider some application. And then finally, we'll look at verses 10 through 13, where we'll see an invitation to promotion. An invitation to promotion. So let's start with the beginning of our outline, a story of white-collar crime. And I'm going to read the first um, two verses of this chapter. He also said to the disciples... There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Now, as we start uh, the story out, uh, a lot of questions come to our mind. For example, when we read that he wasted his master's possessions, what, do we, what, do, what does he mean by that? Was he careless with overhead costs? Did he, was he spending unjustifiable operational expenses? Or perhaps, maybe, was there actual unethical uh, personal gain here for him? This, this scripture doesn't tell us. Number two, uh, who was the whistleblower? 
How did the rich man find out? We don't know. Uh, number three, of course, there's two sides to every story. So, so why didn't the rich man, first of all, ask the manager his side of the story before he fired him? We're not told. Or, or, or fourthly, why, didn't, uh, why did the rich man, instead of, in, in, instead of uh, you know, uh, firing him on the spot, why did he wait? Why did he give him time to do what he does next? Why is there kind of, the, there's a, 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 a parenthesis there. We're not, told, we're not told those things. And, you know, recently I went to a workshop on uh, storytelling, went to a workshop on storytelling, and the presenter uh, made an interesting point. Uh, she said that on the way, as a storyteller, on the way towards driving home, the point that you want to make, oftentimes, less is more. And it's like, wow, that's what we have here, don't we? We have this, this uh, situ- interesting situation where we're not told, told all the details, and I think it's because Jesus is driving us towards something he wants to emphasize. Let's continue on with our story here. I'm in now in verses uh, 3 and 4. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking away the management, taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and, and I'm ashamed, and ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people will receive me into their homes. And so our, star, our story started out with sparse detail, but here actually the reader is invited in to the thinking process of the manager. And so we learn that first of all, he decides that he's not strong enough to get hired as a ditch digger. We don't know if it's because he's of small frame or it's because he's old. We're not told. But he decides he can't do that. He also knows that his pride will not allow him to stoop to beg for a living. And then he says, aha, I know what I'll do. I know exactly what I'll do so that at least I can get an evening meal as a temporary fix. I've got a, I've got a plan for a temporary fix that I can at least get into homes and get an evening meal. And so he hatches his plan. And that takes us then to uh, verse, verses 5 through 7. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. Now, of course, we need to remember here that the manager still has control of those accounts, doesn't he? He still has control. He still has perhaps the, uh, the rich man's seal or the rich man's signet rings. And what he does, he decides to summon the master's debtors and hand out, hand out dishonest favors in order to endear himself to them, knowing then that they will be beholden to him. They'll be obligated to him when he asks them for help, namely an evening meal. So that's what's going on here. He's giving out dishonest favors. He's wanting to endear himself to others, knowing that then they will be obligated when he comes to them for an ask, get help, to get a meal. In other words, what this manager is doing, other verbs we could use are he's scheming, Plotting, maneuvering, calculating, angling, leveraging, leveraging. So let's finish our story. Uh, Verse 8. The parable ends this way. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. 
Once again, there's holes in the story. The things we don't learn, for example, obviously, how did the master find out about this scheme? How did it get exposed? We're not told. And then we think, is it really true that the master is going to kind of not press charges as a way of kind of giving a left-handed compliment to this man for his, for his, for his uh, shrewdness? We're not told why, but, uh, but Jesus is driving us to, towards the point that the master, the rich man, is, is finds something admirable about what the shrewd manager did. And Jesus is the master storyteller. He's not giving us other details because he wants us to focus on that. So, so what aspect uh, that is admirable that the master finds here? Or how can we articulate what is endorsable? And I wrote four ways to describe what the uh, master sees. Qu- quick-footed planning today, knowing what the manager will want tomorrow. He knew what he'd want tomorrow, and he had quick-footed planning for for today. Or, leveraging of opportunities now as he thinks about the future. Leveraging those opportunities. Or, street smart investing presently, street smarts, with an eye on life to come. And lastly, foresight and shrewdness in arranging things for the time to come. He finds these things admirable and endorsable. And that brings us to the next point in our outline, an endorsement from the Messiah. What does the Messiah have to say, have to say about this? And so now we are in uh, verses uh, 8 and 9. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. And so as Jesus is making his endorsement, he gives us us a comparison and then he's going to give us a command. So let's look at this comparison first of all. We have the sons of the world, um, the sons of this world, and then they're held in a juxtaposition to the sons of light. And Jesus says, the sons of this world, the sons of this world are very good at acting worldly and leveraging their opportunities to reach their worldly goals. And that is money. They love money and they're clever at getting it. And then he begins to talk about the sons of this world. I'm sorry, the, the, the sons of light. Now, before we read what he, he describes in this comparison. Let's think about what the sons of light know. What the sons of light know or what they should know. They ought to know along with Job that naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. They ought to know that. Number two, the sons of light ought to know that the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. They're going to be rolled up like elements one day. Furthermore, the sons of light ought to know that the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay. Then he will repay each person according to what he has done. The sons of light know that there will be a day of judgment, a day of reward, a day of reckoning, a day of accounting, And then there will be a proportionate handing out of rewards. And then 
sons of light will enter into, the fourth thing that they know, an inheritance that is imperishable. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Proportionate rewarding. And Jesus says, even though the sons of light know this, they display comparatively little shrewdness in investment towards this end. They do little investment towards this end. C.T. Uh, um, Studd was a professional cricket player, a very successful, very po- popular in England in the 1800s, who uh, uh, gave up his fame and for- fortune to become a missionary. And uh, C.T. Studd has many famous quotes. One of them is this. He said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Many of you have heard that before. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The sons of light know this. They know that already. That's not new news. And yet, they, they, they display comparatively little shrewdness in investing towards this end. In other words, they don't have, an, an under, they don't have a kingdom understanding of smart money. This is the contrast that Jesus makes. Then Jesus goes on to make a, a command. He gives a command. Now let me read that again. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. And so the command here is spend money. What a great command Jesus gives you. Spend money. Have at it. Enjoy. Spend money for heavenly purposes, to make heavenly friends, to endear people to yourself in a kingdom context. So what's that going to mean? It's going to mean investing in things like evangelism, investing in things like discipleship, one-anothering, teaching, preaching, buildings, structures, travel expenses. In short, anything. In short, anything that's going to contribute to the breadth and the depth of God's kingdom. Jesus says, spend money. And he goes on to say that the result will be that even though, even though you gave in secret, even though you made sure that your left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing, there's going to be a day ordained by God when it's gloriously exposed. To God's glory, that will be exposed. And then all the connections are going to be made. This amount of money was spent in these ministries, and these were the benefactors. These were those people who benefited spiritually. And Jesus goes on to say in in this verse, and that, that those souls, those very souls that benefited from your help financially will invite you as the investor, as the financier, to their eternal homes to express thankfulness. Maybe you'll get a meal out of it. I don't know. I don't know about that detail. But I know for certain there will be sweet camaraderie in those eternal dwellings. There will be fellowship. There will be joy. And there will be worship. And so here Jesus is giving motivation for the way he wants to um, eternally give reward to those who invest and spend money 
for the kingdom of God. That is a staggering thing to think about. And for a moment, I just want to set that next to another staggering truth, a promise that Jesus gives for those who are not the, the, the senders, the payers, the bankrollers, but the goers. Let's remind ourselves of what we read in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 29. Jesus said this, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, that is houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, of course, and in the age to come. And so Jesus says, for those who are goers, there will be hundredfolds homes. And those who pay, there will be house after house after house for you to visit. Amazing. So let's stop and think about uh, application for a minute. We have a very simple application to start with. Super simple, super easy peasy application. That is just to simply renew our commitment to give to our local church. Renew our commitment to give to Hillcrest Bible Church. Because just very simply, the staff at Hillcrest is ready to to be a beehive of ministry with the money that you gave. There's pastors, there's staff, there's volunteers that are ready to be a beehive of ministry with what you've financed. And that includes breadth and depth of the kingdom as it's expressed here in Oregon, Wisconsin. So let's be vigilant not to be tight-fisted with our giving at Hillcrest Bible. Let's be vigilant against overspending on ourselves such that there's not a lot, quite a lot left. And lastly, let's be vigilant to, to, against pettiness. You know, if you were to listen to pastors commiserate about uh, things in, in the ministry, they would commiserate about pettiness. Picky church members who are petty. And those complaints and those, uh, you know, those, those negative words, just vomit, discouragement on the leaders, our pettiness. And it also is poison. It's a surefire way to ruin our own enthusiasm for being generous. Pettiness is a problem in churches all over the globe. Let's be vigilant against, diligent against it. And rather, rather, let's pad the funds. Let's pad the funds. Pad the funds so that brand new initiatives, brand new ministries can be launched. Now, I'm not a part of this church. I don't know what the pastors and the leadership dreams about, what they would do with more money. Maybe some just imagining more scholarships for summer camps, more scholarships for winter camps, um, um, hiring of an outreach pastor, building updates, getting books in the, into the hands of men, books they want their men to read, more and more. Amazing. But to renew our commitment to give to the, to- the local church. Easy application. Secondly, let's renew our commitment to give to missions. And I want to talk about missions for a bit this morning. You know, sons of light, sons of light know that missions missions isn't some kind of, you know, side gig that some people in the church are interested in. It's not like this kind of this optional hobby that a few people uh, engage in and the others don't know. Rather, sons of the light know that reaching the nations is the first goal of the church. And so I want us to just for a second remind ourselves of the relevant verses that missions is to be first and foremost as an outreach for the church. So just three verses to to do that. 
Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, these are regions north and south of Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus told his followers to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's why in Romans chapter 15, Paul says this, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. I'm going to go to places where where the Savior is unnamed, where he's unheard of, where, where no one says King Jesus. Those are the places I want to go to, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And then God allows us to learn at the end of the ages, as the curtain of the of heavens are opened up, allows us to learn that the church is going to be successful at this task of taking the gospel to the nations. Because in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, we read this. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. All nations, all ethnic groups. So we've reminded ourselves of, 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 the, of the, the, the command, the scripture. And let's just also remind ourselves that it's going to take money to get that task accomplished, isn't it? It's going to take resources. You know, I'm reminded of William Carey, uh, who lived in the uh, uh, late, later part of the 1700s. He, was, he had a passion uh, for flaming the fame, the, the fame, the flame of missions among local churches. He was a mobilizer. And he, he, had a, he had a publication that became very famous. And the title of the publication was this, Inquiry into the obligation of Christ, Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. Now you can tell by his font, his font size, what he wanted to emphasize and what he chose not to emphasize. But what I want to emphasize is the fact that he acknowledged that we are, it was going ha- to entail using means, resources, finances, money. So we've looked at the scripture. We've reminded ourselves that it's going to take finances. The last question would be, okay, we have this money. We're ready to give. How should we invest it? Where would, we, where would we strategically spend money, place money, if we were concerned for the gospel to, to, to complete its, its, um, uh, its, its walk around the globe as unreached nations become reached nations? And so for that, I want to look at um, uh, some statistics from an organization called the Joshua Project. And the Joshua Project, what they set out to do is to identify ethnic uh, groups of the world with the fewest followers of Jesus to help us with our strategizing. So I apologize for these next uh, few um, graphs. They're too, they're too small. Sorry about that. So I'll just talk you through them. Uh, so this first graph, I think there's four. Uh, notice the title, uh, that there are 17,000 people groups in the world. Missiologists say there are 17,000 people groups in the world. And then they ca- categorize these people groups into five, five, um, five categories. Uh, the, the unreached, which they show by red, and then we're going to go from red to green with gradation, okay? Red to green. Uh, number two, uh, minimally reached. Number three, superficially reached. Four, partially reached. And five, significantly reached. Significantly reached. And so what would be red? Turkey, Japan, countries like this, Turkmenistan. What would be green? Of course, countries like the United States, 
You can't see very carefully very, so, because it's so small, but missiologists tell, tell us that there are still 7,000 unreached people groups. 7,000 unreached people groups where the gospel, that people don't stand a reasonable chance to ever hear the gospel. Then on the next slide, just look at that same uh, situation a different way. Missiologists tell us that the uh, world's population is now 8 billion, 8 billion people, and we're just going to focus on the red now. Uh, 3.3 billion people are in that red category where they don't stand a reasonable chance to ever hear the gospel ever. There's no Christian anywhere near them. We're moving on. Well, so where do these people live? Where, where in the world are these unreached people? If we look at it by continent, they are in Africa, Asia, and then third, Europe. Asia, including um, the Middle East. So what religious background are they? What, what is their, their framework that they look at the world? What uh, religions do they, um, they believe in? And so we look at the red again. First, Islam. Second, Hinduism. Third would be ethnic religions, like folk religions. Half of that statistic there would be China. 400 million people adhere to folk religion in China. And then Buddhism. So what we learn then is the gospel where it's least, the least reached places are among Muslims, Hindus, and Far East Asians, friends. We begin to strategize of where we're going to give. In completing the Great Commission, we're thinking Muslims, Hindus, and Far East Asians. Jesus calls us to, to imitate an admirable aspect of the dishonest manager. Imitate an admirable aspect of the shrewd manager and his behavior. Namely, that he was shrewd with his resources like we ought to be shrewd towards investing in heavenly goals. That is smart money because we know it's going to have a return on investment. In fact, even a return for us. Smart money. So that leads us to our our final um, point this morning, an invitation to promotion. We're going to learn that promotion comes through trustworthiness in our stewardship. Let's read verses uh, 10 through I'm sorry, just, yeah, 10 through 12. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Sorry, let's get ahead there. Okay. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? As I read these verses, it dawned on me that it might be helpful to highlight some key words here and then set up a table, put these uh, verses in a table form, just kind of understand what Jesus is saying here. And so Jesus talks first of all about what is in your hand currently, and secondly, what God wants to give you, how he wants to bring promotion What is in your hand is described as a very little. It's described as the unrighteous wealth. It's described as another's. Interesting. Let's go back. A very little. You know, I'm not from this church. I don't know the church members, but you probably have an idea of some of the wealthiest church members we have here. Probably have an idea who they are. This description includes their fortune. It's described here as a very little. Secondly, it's described as unrighteous wealth. Now, why would Jesus describe it as unrighteous wealth? A lot of answers, but just to remind you of one verse, 
that might get us somewhere towards the answer. First uh, Timothy six says this: For the love of money is a root a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. So it's called unrighteous wealth. Lastly, it's called another's. It's not even yours. It's not permanent. It's not in your hand permanently. You're only a steward of it. And God wants to promote you through faithfulness to that. Let's put that on there. Through kingdom trustworthiness. He wants to promote you to what is described as much. Much. The unsearchable riches of Christ. He wants to give you stewardship responsibilities for the unsearchable riches of Christ. Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he describes it as your own. Permanent. Your inheritance. And so Christ is inviting us to stewardship. That, and that is recognizing that what you have is God's money and then investing it to the best of your ability, to the best you can estimate of how the owner would want it invested and spent. And the result then is, in, is promotion to spiritual responsibility, stewardship over the riches of Christ. Now, I think this probably means in part now in this world as, as, as men and women are faithful in a little in this world, he's going to give them, entrust them to, to with much like becoming a ministry leader, becoming a church leader, having spiritual oversight. Partly true now, but certainly, obviously, perfectly and completely true in the kingdom to come with promotion there. So let me remind us of two parallel verses then. Jesus said in Matthew 25, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant." You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Or in Luke chapter 19, a similar verse, he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, I sh- you shall have authority over 10 cities. Promotion for faithfulness in what we have in our hand today in our purse. Let's read our final verse this morning. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And friends, the shrewd manager is exhibit A in this principle. There's no fence sitting. There's no middle position. There's no middle ground. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you will despise the one and be devoted to the other, according to God's word. So here we have our outline. We've come to the completion of it. And uh, the worship team wants to come up now with me. Invite them up here. Friends, the day is coming when what we have given to the kingdom will be exposed. We've, we've been careful to give in secrets. Uh, we've been careful to make sure that our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is giving, and yet there's a day when God wants that to be exposed to his glory. 
and all will be revealed. And then the connections are going to be made. The connections that this money was spent for this ministry and these people eternally benefited. And for some, that will mean receiving great thanks. And for others, sadly, it will mean little thanks. For some, that will mean great promotion to spiritual responsibilities over Christ, the riches of Christ. And sadly, for some, that will mean very little promotion. And so, friends, I want to invite you to take these verses home today and allow them to um, be intrusive into your life the way they were meant to be. Allow them to be intrusive because it just could be that some of us are going to make course corrections today that are second only to when we came to faith in Christ and there was a course correction. And it's going to be towards the universe's greatest return on investment. Smart money for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be like my Turkish church intern who's thinking about the future. I'm inviting him to think about six years later and what, he, what he'll want in six years and to steer towards that end. And Lord, the same way we want to, with our money, think about what we're going to want in 100 years. What it is we're going to be most grateful for in 200 years. And make a decision today to invest that way as our Savior instructs us here. And it's going to be glorious, Lord. It's, it's going to be glorious to see the breadth and the depth of the kingdom be influenced because of our giving. In Christ's name, amen.